0: Father in heaven in every sphere of our lives and this requires discipline on our parts. This requires intentionality and the more we adore and revere our Father in heaven, it humbles us. Uh, God by his sovereign grace strips us of our human bride and the more we uh, get of his glory, taste of his glory, the humbler we get and the more we desire to worship him and adore him. So that was the uh, first petition of our Lord's Prayer. Uh, We're gonna be examining the second petition. And uh, in our outline, you'll see, there are five points um, that we're gonna be looking at, five things. The first is the characteristics of the kingdom. Uh, What what does it mean and the language that's involved. Um, uh, Second, the nature of the kingdom. Third, the scope of the kingdom. Uh, Fourth, we'll look at the coming of the kingdom. And lastly, we will see how it is that we pray uh, for the kingdom of God to come. And we'll end with some uh, points of application. Before we uh, look at the first point, um, let's uh, look at some, uh, do some general observations on the petition itself and how it aligns, how it fits with the other petitions in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we see that the first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer involve God, namely his glory. Uh, The second and the third petitions, um, your kingdom come and your will be done, inform us, guide us on how it is that we ought to give God glory. uh, The means by which we give God glory. Hallow, hallow our Father in heaven. Uh, A.W. Pink says, quote, whereas the petition has to do with honoring God or God's glory itself. That is the first petition. The second and third petitions have more to do with the means to that end. God's name is manifestly glorified here, not only in the proportion in which his kingdom and his will is done by us. So unless you and I, by the the aid of the Holy Spirit, nurture and foster the praise and adoration of our father in heaven we won't uh, uh, be led to uh, praying your kingdom come and your will be done and living that out in our lives so if you and I are not passionate about the king who is our father in heaven then we will not have regard for his kingdom that is his realm and we will not have regard for his will that is his rule of law within that kingdom So the first petition, hallowed be your name, readies us and guides us to pray the second and the third petitions and the subsequent petitions. R.C. Sproul says, quote, there is a logic that runs like a ribbon through the Lord's Prayer. Each of the petitions is connected to the others. The first petition Jesus taught us was hallowed be your name, which is a plea that the name of God be regarded as holy. Manifestly, unless and until the name of God is regarded as holy, his kingdom will not and cannot come to this world. But we, uh, but we who do regard his name as holy have the responsibility to make the kingdom of God manifest. End quote. So that brings us to our first point, uh, where we will see the characteristics of the kingdom, what it is that characterizes the kingdom of God. Uh, The Greek word basalia is the word uh, that lends the uh, that is used uh, for kingdom. And it means sovereignty, uh, uh, royal power. So its meaning, uh, highlighting the word sovereignty, uh, God informs us as what is the nature or the, char- uh, the primary characteristic of this kingdom. So the kingdom that's spoken of in our Lord's Prayer is not um, a constitutional monarchy where the uh, the ruler has to have the consent of the governed or, uh, and has limited power, limited by those who, uh, who that monarch is governing, but rather this kingdom is spoken of a ruler who has absolute authority he is the absolute sovereign whose kingdom is it we see in the context of the lord's prayer not only the lord's prayer but the sermon on the mount that uh, we see that the kingdom belongs to uh, god our father in heaven and who are the subjects of the kingdom, we see in the context itself that the the subjects of the kingdom are the people who have granted entrance into the kingdom of God by virtue of faith and belief in Christ Jesus. Uh, A. Hodge in his work on systematic theology says, the kingdom of God, therefore, as consisting of those who acknowledge, worship, love, and obey Jehovah, as the only living and true God has existed in our world ever since the fall of Adam, End quote. Now, Matthew uh, refers to the kingdom um, in two ways. First, he refers to the kingdom as the kingdom of heaven. And he uses this reference or this phrase numerous times. And he also refers to the kingdom uh, as the kingdom of God, and he uses that uh, only five times. Again, uh, the, the reason that Matthew does so is in keeping uh, um, his Jewish audience in mind. He is uh, giving reference to God, and hence he is in, in place of using the name of God in referring to the kingdom, he is using heaven out of reference for God. That brings us to uh, our second point, uh, the nature of the kingdom. What is the nature of the kingdom? The first thing we learn is that this kingdom is eternal and everlasting uh, by uh, uh, by the fact that the king who, to whom this king, kingdom belongs is eternal and everlasting. In Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 10, uh, we uh, we, we read but the lord is the true god he is the living god and the everlasting king at his wrath the earthquakes and the nations cannot endure his indignation and again another prophet daniel who had uh, uh by by god's sovereign grace uh, saw many visions from god says how great are his signs how mighty his wonders uh, wonders his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. So the kingdom of God is eternal and everlasting, and the kingdom of God also has subjects, uh, namely people. Now, this kingdom took on a, uh, a different domain uh, with the creation of man. When God created Adam, uh, Adam and his posterity uh, were created to be part of this eternal and everlasting kingdom of God. However, Adam disobeyed and rebelled against his sovereign king. So as a result of the fall, Adam and his posterity, uh, every human being since the fall are no longer citizens of that kingdom of God. Rather, you and I by nature are born into and belong into a kingdom in opposition to that, king, uh, to, to that sovereign ruler. We belong to the kingdom of Satan. Yet God, by his sovereign grace, redeemed his elect, his church, through Jesus Christ, and he has restored us back to the kingdom from which we fell. A. A. Hodge comments, quote, From this rightful authority of God, our race revolted. And thereby became a part of the kingdom of darkness, of which Satan is the head. To this kingdom, the man, the mass of mankind, has ever since belonged. But God, in his grace and mercy, determined to deliver men from the consequences of their apostasy End quote. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter two. Um, Starting in verse 1, we will look at where we, where we started at. Um, the psalmist says we were conceived in sin. And, uh, and we will see that we belonged to this kingdom of Satan and were redeemed from that kingdom. And granted entrance to God's heavenly kingdom. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, Uh, and were by by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated, seated us with him in, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So having been born into the kingdom of Satan by the sovereign grace of God, you and I have been delivered and granted entrance, not, in, not only adopted into a family, giving, uh, uh, being given all the uh, inheritance uh, that is due, uh, due us by his grace as sons and daughters. But we are also granted entrance into God's kingdom. Now the scope of the kingdom is our second point. Now, we understand in the context of the Lord's Prayer that God the Father is being referred to as being the king of this kingdom. Yet, in his decorative will, uh, it was his desire, his will to grant this kingdom to his son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we see that this is a messianic passage uh, speaking of this in Daniel chapter 7 verses 13 through 14. So if you turn with me or listen with me to Daniel uh, chapter 7 verses 13 through 14. This is Daniel's vision. I saw in the night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was pre- presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So we see here that the Ancient de- ancient of Days is God the Father. Uh, The everlasting and eternal king and the son of man who is presented before God the father is none other than Jesus Christ our Savior and Lord and that becomes comes to full fruition when Jesus Christ dies and atones for our sins and is ascended into heaven. He is given a name. Uh, far above all names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is uh, Lord to the glory of God the Father. And the kingdom is not only given by God the Father to Jesus Christ um, as, uh, as being its rightful king, but it's also given to those who enter the kingdom of God. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 um, You could just listen with me. Um, I'll just turn over there. I'm going to start with verse 18, Hebrews chapter 12. For you have not come to what may be touched a blazing fire, and darkness, and gloom, and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose, uh, whose words made the hearers beg no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. I'm going to skip on down to verse 28. Uh, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving king- kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. So because God, uh, uh, Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord took on the wrath of God and he was able to do that work for us on the cross that we uh, could not do, that is atone for our sins, we, uh, by his sovereign grace, are able to enter that kingdom of God. And, it's not, uh, and we can enter, enter that kingdom with, uh, with boldness, with courage because of what Christ has done on our behalf. Uh so the kingdom here that is spoken of here refers to none other than the church. Now there are two aspects uh to the church. Uh one aspect is the church militant and the other aspect of the church is the church glorified. Uh I found this on a table talk article uh, uh from this month actually. Uh it speaks of the church um, and it says quote the church on earth and the church in heaven are not two separate entities, but one body, united to Christ as head. Reformed theologians often designate those who behold Christ by faith as the church militant and those who behold Christ by sight in heaven as the church triumphant, End quote. And uh, uh, later on in this lesson, we will uh, uh, dive into, uh, examine the nature and task of the church militant Uh, And that will inform as to how we pray your kingdom come. That brings us to our uh, third point, the coming of the kingdom. So when uh, we read not only in uh, the Lord's Prayer, the coming of the kingdom, or any time it is uh, spoken of in the word of God, uh, there are three aspects really to the coming of the kingdom. The the first aspect is uh, In one sense, in a very real sense, the kingdom of God has come. Uh, And in in another sense, the kingdom of God is still coming. Uh, It's uh, growing, as we'll see. And in the third aspect, the kingdom of God will fully come and fully avail itself in every way. So let's look at the uh, first aspect of uh, the kingdom uh, having come. And uh, we already learned that the kingdom began with the creation of man, And uh, all the Old Testament saints, starting with Adam uh, to the very last one in the Old Covenant, had entered God's kingdom uh, by virtue of faith in God. And the author of Hebrews says, not only referring to Abraham, but also every Old Testament saint, that they looked forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And uh, the second big thing is that uh, the kingdom of God was inaugurated with the coming of Christ. And that began with his, uh, not only with his incarnation, but uh, more uh, fully with his uh, 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 public ministry and even more fully uh, with his uh, atoning death on the cross and his ascension. And uh, Christ began his public ministry with the gospel herald Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, Christ could say the kingdom of heaven was at hand because Christ the king had come to claim his bride. Dutch Dutch theologian Herman Ritterbos uh, comments, he uh, uh, mentions four things uh, as to uh, being the evidence as to how Christ um, had inaugurated the kingdom. the first uh, evidence for this is the wicked one, that is Satan, has been overcome. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 12, verses 25 through 29. Matthew chapter 12, 25 through 29. We may not read the entirety of it. Uh, To give us a context, um, Jesus Christ had just uh, uh, exercised, cast out the demon from a demon-possessed man. And the religious leaders, the Pharisees, uh, were critical, pessimistic, uh, and were attributing Christ's power rather than to the Holy Spirit. They were attributing Christ's power in in casting out this demon uh, to Beelzebub, to Satan. And this is Christ's response to them. He says, knowing their thoughts, Uh, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. So here Christ is saying that it is by the power of the Holy Spirit that I've done this. And I am that strong man, uh, one greater than the strong man who has entered the strong man's house, that is Satan's house, Satan's kingdom his domain of darkness, and have delivered his elect, my elect, from who for whom I will die, and I'm taking them with me and granting them entrance into my heavenly kingdom. Such is the will of my Father in heaven. Um, so uh, that's the first reason. And the second reason is just the, uh, the, the miracles that Christ did uh, speak of the evidence that the kingdom of God had come and there were so many miracles that christ did besides casting out demons walked on water healing the lame the blind uh... uh, so many miracles so that's another attestation to the coming of the kingdom uh... the third reason is the preaching of the gospel now christ had been uh... uh... speaking about kingdom life the characteristics of the kingdom life what it what it is to be a a citizen of the kingdom of heaven christ not only Taught about uh, repentance, but he taught about uh, uh, what makes one a citizen of his kingdom. And the third reason, Herman, uh, fourth reason rather, that Herman Ritterboss says uh, uh, that is evidence to the coming of the kingdom with the ministry of Christ is the possession of salvation that Christ not only uh, preached the gospel of repentance, but he offered salvation. Salvation is not a uh, propositional truth, uh, faith in a propositional truth about what Christ had done, but faith in Christ himself, that he can grant us the deliverance from the domain of darkness and grant us entrance into the kingdom of God. So that is the first aspect of the coming of the kingdom that uh, it has come. Uh, the second aspect of the coming of the kingdom is that it is coming. It is, uh, it is coming even more, uh, even this very day as we're, uh, as we're worshiping today. You have uh, uh, sons and daughters of God around the world, in Middle East, in Asia, uh, in South America, had, wor- had their worship services yesterday. And uh, this uh, very hour you have sons and daughters of God uh, across this great land and these uh, uh, North America uh, I, I should say South America. They're probably in the same time zone or close to it They're worshiping our Father in heaven giving honor and glory to Christ the King who had deliver- granted them the deliverance and entrance into his kingdom uh, So here God is talking about the growth and expansion of God's kingdom and jesus spoke uh, about the kingdom of god in in parables and uh two of the parables that jesus used that specifically uh spoke of uh the growth and expansion of his kingdom is the king uh the parable of the mustard seed and the, and the leaven so the mustard seed jesus said is the smallest among uh the seeds and yet it gives uh uh, uh it once it gives fruition to a uh a tree that is large enough for other animals or birds of the air uh, to nest there. And that is the nature of the kingdom. Uh, it starts out as a small leaven and then it fills the whole uh, dough and uh, produces bread. Um, so the kingdom started out small with a handful of disciples and followers. And here we are in the 21st century. Christ continues to draw men and women of all races and cultures into his kingdom, and you and I are witness to that this very day. The third aspect in which the kingdom uh, comes and will finally come it's the consummation of the kingdom, and this is a promise of our Lord. Uh, he said uh, in uh, John chapter fourteen. I go uh, to prepare a place for you, and when I prepare that place, I will come and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And in the consummation of the kingdom, God makes all things new, a new heaven and a new earth, uh, where there'll, there'll be no more sorrow and no more sin. That brings us to our fourth point. Uh, so keeping all of that that had been covered up to this point in mind, how would it how is it that you and i should pray the petition your kingdom come if we are already part of his kingdom why do we pray your kingdom come and what does it mean to pray your kingdom come there are three ways in which we pray your kingdom come the first is we pray for those who are within the kingdom who are already part of the kingdom of God, sons and daughters of God, uh, uh, child, children of the king. And um, those are those uh, who are adopted, justified by faith and are adopted. Um, and three things I thought of uh, as I was uh, preparing for this. The first is spiritual maturity. You and I should go, grow towards spiritual maturity in terms of discipleship. We ought to leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on towards maturity. Uh, the third thing is we ought to uh, walk in obedience to our Father in heaven. As children of God, we not only love his children, our fellow brethren, but when we love God and obey his commandments, it shows uh, that we're living out the kingdom life. Uh, The third way in which we um, uh, pray the kingdom come in our lives is that uh, we strive towards holiness. We not only live, uh, not only pray that we live in accordance to his will, but we live according to his will. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. John Calvin says, quote, Thus this prayer ought to draw us back from worldly corruptions which so separate us from, kingdom, from God that his kingdom does not thrive within us. At the same time, it ought to kindle zeal for mortification of the flesh. Finally, it ought to instruct us in bearing the cross. Excuse me. For it is in this way that God wills to spread his kingdom end quote so you and I ought to pray that God by the power of his spirit through the means of grace would expand his kingdom encompassing every sphere of our lives we ought to pray that God would break the strongholds the idolatrous altars we still have erected in various areas of our lives and another important way in which we pray uh, for those within the kingdom is that we do the battle. We are called the church militant. It's spiritual warfare. We're told that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. So you and I, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we put on the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and we ought to pray at all times in the spirit uh, peter lightheart uh, says quote worship is the first act of holy war as we exalt the heavenly king on our praises he fights on our behalf it is in response to our prayers that he sends fiery judgment to the earth end quote i'll interject here uh, by reiterating, that is why it's imperative that you and I continually nurture the hallowing of God's name in our prayer life and in our lives, in how we live our lives. Uh, Lightheart continues, quote, In holy war, the church's chief weapons are those of her master. Her armor is the same as, as his, end quote. And I'll add this to that. that. That is why our Lord Jesus had taught and modeled this prayer as a blueprint for our spiritual warfare. Uh, prayer is integral to how we fight our battles, our spiritual battles, day-to-day battles in our lives. Uh, Lionheart continues, quote, she fights that as the church fights with spiritual weapons that are powerful to, de- to destroy idolatrous speculations and bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Through her prayers, her acts of righteousness and mercy, her witness and proclamation of the word, her faith and the power of the spirit, Christ puts demons and demonic men to flight, end quote. So it has pleased our Father to use our prayers to make his kingdom come through the furtherance of the gospel. His kingdom has come on earth since creation, yet... His kingdom continues to grow as the gospel is shared and preached throughout the earth. So that brings us to the third, uh, second way in which how we pray your kingdom come. And we pray, the second way in we, do th- we do this is we pray for those who are outside of the kingdom. And this speaks of evangelism. Uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 9 verses 37 through 38. Matthew chapter 9 verses uh, 37 through 38. Um, I'm going to start with 36. When when he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, uh, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So the first way we pray in terms of evangelism is that God would raise men and women from all walks of life who are obedient to him would, uh, uh, would do the work of the ministry in evangelizing, church planting, missions. And we not only pray that God would send them, but would send us as well. Uh, we are missionaries in the mission field that is Las Vegas and we ought to do so faithfully. We are, pray that we'll have boldness and courage to share the gospel with those with whom we have relationships. John Calvin says, um, rather, uh, R.C. Sproul, in quoting another great man, John Calvin, uh, it is the task of the church to make the invisible kingdom visible. We do that by living in such a way that we we bear witness to the reality of the kingship uh, of Christ in our jobs, our families, our schools, and even our checkbooks. Because God in Christ is king over every one of these spheres of life, end quote. So the last way in which we pray your kingdom come is surmised by the word Maranatha, which means come quickly, Lord Jesus. The second to the last verse in the Bible in Revelation 20:20 says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. So this speaks to the church's much anticipated return of its king, to rule and reign over his kingdom for all of eternity. This puts an, uh, puts an end, an ultimate end, the, to the corrupt and sinful nature within us. This restores the fallenness of this world. It makes all things new, including our fallen bodies. This brings final judgment on Satan and all men, men and women who have rejected God and Christ as king, saying, we have no king, but Caesar, and this brings an end to all evil. Um, I'd refer you to Revelation chapter six, verses nine through eleven. Um, if you could read that on your own, in the interest of time, I'm going to end um, this lesson with the Heidelberg Catechism uh, on the uh, the second petition. It says, "Quote: What is the second petition? Thy kingdom come." That is, rule us so by thy word and spirit, that we may submit ourselves more and more to thee, preserve and increase thy church, destroy the works of the devil, and all violence which would exalt itself against thee, and also all wicked counsels devised against thy holy word, till the full perfection of thy kingdom take place, wherein thou shalt be all in all. Um, I have a couple of questions, and uh, we'll have uh, time, we'll look at them. I do have a couple of videos I'd like for us to watch as well. Walt, if I can have you hand out those index cards, brother. Well, Walt is handing out those index cards, just one each, please. I think uh, we might be out of index cards, so sorry. Uh, Maybe find one at home, and uh, you can do that homework. (laughs) apologize so the first question is uh, what are some specific ways that you can be praying for his kingdom come in your life Uh, so be thinking about that as we watch these videos and uh, second question is and what are some specific ways by which you can be advancing his kingdom in your life so uh, they're interconnected um and that index card, if you could prayer, uh, prayerfully consider uh, one person uh, that is in your life, be it a colleague, an unbeliever, be it a colleague or uh, um, a neighbor, uh, bank teller of your local bank. I'm sorry, yeah, I didn't plan, but that's fine. But when you go home, you could do that. So write that person's name and be praying for that person throughout this week and pray that God would go, grant you boldness and courage to say, share the gospel with that person. Uh, so uh, it'll apply living out uh, kingdom life. Uh, so Greg, if you could play those videos at this time, I'd appreciate that. If we have time, we'll end with discussion.
1: We've become accustomed to a world, where all our needs are met, where nearly everything we could ever want is literally at our fingertips, food, water, shelter, clothing. We take some things for granted. us they've always been there but what if we didn't have these things how would it affect our daily lives it's the same with the Bible it's our guiding light showing us the only way to live in a right relationship with God but what if it wasn't there what would our lives be like without the bible for millions of people in the world this is still their daily reality there's not a single word of scripture translated into a language they can clearly understand that's why Wycliffe exists at this moment all around the world we're working with local churches and communities to speed the light of truth to people still waiting. Because when people get the Bible in their language, they can know the life-giving truth of the good news. They can fully grasp who God is and what Jesus has done for them. They can experience the hope and transformation of God's Word. It's a movement of global proportions, and we won't stop until every person on the planet can access the Bible in a language and format they can clearly understand.
2: islam is the fastest growing religion in the world and one out of every four people on earth is a muslim while more muslims are coming to christ than at any other time in history there are still hundreds of millions who have never heard the gospel they've never been told about the saving grace of jesus christ someone needs to tell them that there is a savior who loves them Jesus said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So with love and respect, Frontiers is inviting all Muslim peoples to follow Jesus. Through Frontiers, disciples of Jesus serve the least reached in the Muslim world. They introduce their Muslim friends to the hope found in Christ, make disciples and start multiplying movements of churches. God is drawing Muslim men and women to himself from wealthy business leaders to the urban poor, from city centers to remote villages. He's changing hearts, changing lives, changing entire communities. And the Lord of the harvest asks us to join him, sharing the good news with those who have yet to hear it. As we see disciples making disciples in Muslim communities, we witness the joy of relationships restored, hearts healed, and families redeemed by the grace of God. Join us in using the resources, talents, and gifts that God has given you to reach Muslim peoples who have still not heard the message of the gospel. We are called to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send more laborers. We are called to show others who Jesus is. We are called to make disciples. We are called to send. We are called to go. We are called to partner with Jesus to see hearts and lives transformed for eternity. Will you join us?
0: Thank you, Greg. Uh, those were a couple of videos, a couple of resources, many resources, even on our website, PCA.net, uh, I believe. Mission to the world, mission to North America. Uh, you can get uh, new, weekly newsletters, monthly newsletters to be praying to guide you and help you in your prayer. Even Wycliffe dot uh, uh, org, you can download their uh, monthly uh, prayer letter. Every 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 day of the month, you have a uh, a prayer specific to an ongoing Bible translations. That 30 translations. Uh, uh, in um, uh, translation ongoing translation 30 different language groups each month that's a testament to God's grace we're out of time I'm going uh, uh, to have Ron to pray regarding discipleship and then uh, Richard Salinas if you could close us uh, specific to evangelism and uh, we'll wrap up thank you Father
3: we thank you that pray that prayer kingdom come i will be done on earth as it is in heaven we thank you that you are a high priest where we can come to your throne of grace but you are a prophet and king where you give us the truth in your word and you also have come you have died for our sins you have given us forgiveness you have given us faith we thank you for that gift we thank you that you have died and rose again you are ascended you are seated on the heavenly throne o lord as king And that, in a real sense, your kingdom has come, but yet it is the already, but not yet. And we pray, O Lord, as your people, that you would teach us and that we might grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. That we might be equipped for every good work and be ambassadors for Christ in Las Vegas and the world. That we might bring the message of reconciliation to a dying world to a dark world that needs Christ and the light of the gospel. We pray, O oh Lord, that we would look forward to that day, Maranatha. Lord, come quickly. We thank you for the consummation of the kingdom. O oh Lord, how it is so real in our lives, but yet we wait and thank you for that hope that you give us by faith. In Jesus' name.
4: Lord, um, we ask you, God, to uh, remind us of our former status with you before we came to belief and trusting in you, God. We ask you, God, to sanctify you as Lord in our hearts, God, calling us to minister to those who need to know you. Give us courage, Lord. Give us boldness, Remind us of the biblical truths of what you've done on our behalf, Lord, and give us the ability to communicate that to those who need to know you, Lord, that have not trusted in you. Enable us, God, to be used by you. Give us a desire, Lord, to inform and, and, and serve those who need salvation, God. Give us a heart of mercy towards those who are moving towards the slaughter, God, unless you give them the salvation, Lord, that you've been so gracious to give to us. Help us, Lord, to, to be honoring to you, Lord, and to serve those who need you.